to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Hello and welcome to Probing the Wormhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I'm Malika and I'd like to introduce my super fan co-hosts. I'm Rose, one of the two super fans. I'm Samantha, the other super fan. And we're going to do episode eight brief candle. Just a disclaimer at the top. This episode contains some descriptions of possible sexual assault. Listening discretion is advised. So we open on a temple and there appears to be a statue of a gladiator in a chariot. And behind that statue is the Stargate, which leads me to believe that these people are looking towards the Stargate as part of their uh, culture. Not so much in the past, we've had them Stargates out in the woods and not really part of the community. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a good observation. Every time they have them like sort of show up on the planet, you think that people would be a little more shocked that these like random people just came through a ring, especially when it, seems often that that ring hasn't been activated like in these people's lifetimes. That seems like a major thing because they always say, oh, the ancestors haven't come through and like, or the, you know, the gods haven't come through in a generation or a hundred years. And like all of a sudden people are coming through and everyone's like, oh, hi, welcome to our world. And and they were kind of surprised when the wormhole opened. So I just think people should be a little more shocked (laughs) and they should, and SG-1 should have their like practiced, like introducing themselves. I mean, not just walking down the stairs and kind of bumbling over whatever, <laughs> being surprised when they see somebody just walking through and be like, oh, we should probably introduce ourselves. Yeah. And like have like a speech of like, we come from earth and this is who we are and we're not here to hurt you and all that stuff. But yeah, people like really generally seem to accept them very fast. So when SG1 comes through the portal, it appears that there's a woman screaming and then we find out that she is giving birth and they've lost their midwife. Everybody looks to Carter to deliver this baby. What did you guys think about that? Do you think it was because she's the woman? She yeah, has she's the lady parts. <laughs> That's all you need to know about birthing. Yes, we're born with that knowledge, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see anywhere in her resume that she was uh, OBGYN, but <laughs> she might be. I don't know. And I think had maybe had she had kids, there would be at least some, although I've had kids, I could not birth another kid <laughs> in any way. But you might have some more familiarity with the process, but she doesn't. And so there's no reason to think that she would have any expertise in this area. Yeah. And then like just two minutes later, we find out that Daniel has delivered other babies in the past. Why didn't he step up and be like, hey, I have experience as a midwife. I think he only delivered one other baby, right? That's that, one more than anybody else. That's true. But he didn't actually tell everyone he'd only delivered one baby until he was like elbow deep into her private parts. Yeah. Daniel is a man of many talents, right? He's an archaeologist, a linguist, speaks every language they encounter, understands every culture they encounter, and also births children. Seems a bit of a stretch. Also, his explanation that he was in the Yucatan and made friends with the midwives, like, I'm no expert on like Mayan culture, but generally, I don't think midwives just invite random white men to like birth children for them. It's, it just doesn't seem believable in any way. But you don't think that Daniel strikes me as the type of person, of course, he is a ladies man who would gravitate to the women of any tribe that he comes in contact with. And he is so meddling and unable to keep his nose out of other people's business. I can definitely see him pushing his way into a birthing room or hut or temple and trying to um, take over and be like, push, breathe. (laughs) Definitely see Daniel doing that. Yeah, I can see him like pushing his way in, but I just can't see the midwives being like, okay, why don't you deliver this one? 
you know, like it's like, and maybe they'd be like, okay, if you must be here with her, hopefully with this woman's consent, who's giving birth, maybe you should stand in the back and watch. Maybe Daniel secretly is obsessed with lady parts. You gotta, you gotta wonder why some males gravitate towards the OBGYN field. I think George Bush said they like to practice their love with women. Oh God. That's not creepy at all. How long do you think the gestational period is if they only live for a hundred days? I was thinking that too. And also like menstrual cycles have to be sped up significantly, right? Yeah. Are these like, women just bleeding every day? Yeah. Or is there like an out, like if, if roughly a day is roughly a year, right? So like, are they just like bleeding once an hour and you like, that's when you have to have sex to get pregnant? I don't know. It's just, there, there's, there are some questions and I would imagine gestation is no more than a day. Later on, when we find out that their lifespans are sped up, I was thinking that she probably got pregnant a couple hours before she fell asleep the day before. And then woke up like fully pregnant. What a bad night. Jeez. <laughs> well, but you're pat- like, they're not sleeping. They're like passed out. So probably that is the best pregnancy you could possibly have. No morning sickness, no nothing. You just sleep through the entire gestation. And the kids don't wake up in the middle of the night. Amazing. It's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, wow, you have a baby and you get to sleep through the night. It's <laughs> so cool. And then you wake up and it's a three-year-old. So when Daniel starts talking to, uh, he he's delivered the child. He starts talking to the father and it turns out that they believe that they're the chosen people and that the gods reside in the sky, which we can only think is the Gauld. Pelops was the the, the god that this gold was impersonating. Wait, I guess we find out later that really this is all a grand experiment. Doesn't seem like he comes back to check on them very often. Or maybe he's abandoned the project. Or forever. I mean, I, I don't remember Alcos, which was the father of the new baby, saying anything about actually meeting Pelo, Pelo, Pelo. Pelops. Pelops. <laughs> They, they seemed like they had a lot of fear of him returning or, or of, of the, like striking them down if they misbehaved, but no actual accounts of him being there. So then they go out to the village and they're showing off the baby to everybody. O'Neill, Carter, Daniel, and Tilk are looking around and they see that everybody is attractive and young, especially one who turns out is going to be our seductress for the episode, Kinthea is making eyes at O'Neill. I know you two are shippers. How did you guys feel about Carter watching this flirtation? I liked, I mean, because I don't think there's anything between them at this point other than maybe a latent attraction. I loved how like annoyed she was though. And I don't think it was annoyance because it was him. I think she's like, dude, you're like commanding a military unit. Maybe you shouldn't be like sleeping with random aliens while we're on a mission, which is completely the right response. Yeah, she didn't strike me as jealous, just like you said, Rose, annoyed at his behavior. So to O'Neill's credit, I don't know that other, if he wasn't like roofied by this roofie flower cake, I don't know that he would have, I'm pretty sure he would not have acted the way he was. But it begs the question, why are you eating food on a planet that you know nothing about from people that you know nothing about? Like there shouldn't there be some protocol around eating stuff and drinking stuff on a new planet. Well, even if there isn't a protocol on that, what I didn't like is the fact that when O'Neill started getting uh, acting weird and they pulled him aside, the other villagers at no point actually restrained the other crew members. They just kind of like, come sit down, relax. You guys, I know, um, haven't dated in a long time, but you know that when you go out with your single girlfriends, you don't let one of your girls go off with some strange dude and then just be like, okay, bye, see you later as they're pulled into a hut by somebody you don't know, right? That's that's not single girl code. So Tilk, Daniel and Carter should have been like, no, he's acting weird. He's been isolated. He's being dragged off into a hut by a half-naked lady who just performed this burlesque belly dance. We need to stop this and shut it down. And they just was like, we'll just sit over here and relax and not do anything. Yes, you're right. That's a good point. 
I mean, this episode, I find it, it's just so full of plot holes. It's just, it's a, it's a hard one for me to watch, but part of it is just, it's such, it's such this ingrained sexism, right? Because he's a guy and because these are attractive women, nobody's worried about him, right? Obviously pretty girls can't hurt you. And obviously if they drug him and have sex with him, he's into it, you know, like it's not like if, if Carter had been somebody, one of the guys that had taken a liking to Carter drugged her, dragged her into a hut and they found her naked in the morning, they'd be like shooting people, right? Yeah. It would be completely unambiguously rape. And it's just not seen that way. I don't think she's an intentionally trying to rape him. I think the assumption was that everyone knew what this cake was. And if you eat it, you're consenting to the process that follows. But, but why include the drug in the cake in the first place? They were trying to have sex with him without his consent. Yeah. I just don't think it was recognized as such. I think it was, you know, it's, I mean, when was like date rape drugs, like a big thing? I mean, I think they were always a big thing, but I remember in the nineties is when, or maybe the early two thousands is when like roofies was a big deal. I think that was in the two thousands roofies were, that's when roofies started coming in. I don't think that they really saw this as roofies. You know what I mean? I mean, later on, Kinthea talks about it's being the marriage cake. So she wasn't seeing it as taking away his right to consent, but it definitely was. But like, do you think it was ever a conversation in this writer's room of like the discussion that he was being raped? I mean, kind of, they used to do that with people getting drunk and having sex. Like every time I watch Cheers again, which I do love that show, but Sam Malone was clearly a sexual predator who sexually harassed all his, his employees. And they often, not only that show, Big Bang Theory too, they often joke about getting women drunk and then having sex with them, you know, and there's a, clear you know the line of consent gets fuzzier the more fucked up you get but was this even a point of conversation where once you drug somebody they're not able to consent anymore even if she's a pretty girl and he's a guy and I don't think it was ever a point of conversation no I I don't think so either and I think that the way that they tied it with a perfect bow is when he wakes up and we'll get to it a little bit later but when he wakes up he and he's naked in the bed with her he kisses her right even before he really realizes and and is I mean, he's still under the influence, but even before he's really cognizant of what happened, it's like, everything's okay. Whatever happened was okay. And I don't think, I agree with you 100% Rose, that would absolutely not happen if it was a woman. Do you think this is some kind of drug that enhances sex for them? Because I just can't imagine why you would want to take a drug before you had sex that would completely wipe away your memory of the sex. I'm going to say that maybe his effect was more pronounced because like his effect to the nanobots, whatever they was, was also more pronounced. So maybe that isn't usually what happens, but because it was like him and not them. I agree. He, I mean, he ate the entire pizza and he was just kind of seeing double. I think it's more of an enhancing like alcohol. I think the, the wedding cake was, or the marriage cake was more of a, um, thing to get O'Neill in the mood, not really to knock him out. Because he clearly performed, you know. Well, <laughs> he got infected. How so. do you know? How do you know he performed? He got know? infected. So there had to be some bodily contact. Well, he kissed her. I mean, it could have been the kissing. You never know. It could have been the kissing. He had a lot of what we later dis- discovered as nanobots, <laughs> thinking that that was for more than just kissing. Maybe multiple times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe there's so, some Viagra mixed in in that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which he's definitely going to need down the road. <laughs> the next morning, O'Neill wakes up with Kinthea and seems, even though he kisses her, he then seems startled. And it turns out that everybody else in the hut is completely passed out. And that's when the rest of the crew comes in, which kind of made me think, looking back on it, made me realize that the rest of the crew had been outside all night and never went in to check on O'Neill. Is that what you guys were getting from this? I don't think this was overnight. I think this was during, because that night they pass out. So I think he goes in and I think it's maybe like a couple hours later. But still. Yeah, but still. He just left him. Didn't know what, I mean, they were literally right outside. Nobody could poke their head in and be like, hey, are you okay? I think it was a failure of his team to be vigilant, to protect their, their team member. So in the morning, everybody is woken up 
But we see all the villagers prior to that all passed out and it doesn't seem like they can wake up. Then it's the morning, everybody's awake and O'Neill seems to be hungover, which none of the other people seem to be as hungover as O'Neill. And so we need some kind of explanation. In this case, Daniel and Tilk, I'm never going to pronounce his name, right? Go over to the temple to find out what's going on. And we hear that the, the first instance of who actually did this and that's Pelops who is actually a Greek mythological being and we'll talk about that in a second but um, one of the things that they they talk about and they're with the main guy Alcos is the history of the statue and the person who brought them who would be Pelops and one of those things that we we learn about is that there's writing around the chariot. So I do, yeah, I did some research about it. Daniel identified it as linear A. And if you'll remember back in the Broca Divide episode, we met uh, the Minoans. And I mentioned that the Minoans, they had a language back then, but as of the recording of this podcast, no one has been able to really decipher the Minoan language, but they called it linear A. Now, in this episode, uh, Daniel notices the language around the statue, and he, he says it's linear A, but then Teal comes in and says, no, that's Gaul. So the show, show writers took this, um, this real language that, was, that has remained a mystery for hundreds of years and just decided to make it the Gaul language, which I thought was um, pretty clever. Well, it's interesting that, um, well, Tilk says that it's ancient Gaul, and he, is, he actually is able to read it and press those, the stones in the right, correct order so that there's actually like a cabinet that pops out, a drawer that pops out. And then all of a sudden he has this awesome little tablet that it's like a Kindle, but in Gaul. It's So you find in these early episodes, Daniel and Teal work together a lot. And, and this is one example. You know, it's it's so interesting to me how the show really didn't deal with that tension between the two of them that would have had to be in place. Like Teal kidnapped his wife and picked her to be implanted with the gold. In episode one, we learned that. I don't know how much Daniel knows if he knows that it was actually Teal or whatever. But you would think there's some, there's got to be some like reckoning between the two or some conversations about that. And they seem to just move past it. I mean, they may or may not deal with it a little bit more later, but at this point, they seem to work very well together with no issues on Daniel's part. Maybe he actually doesn't know them. Yeah, that's possible. Teal tells him later. Teal is such a, um, I don't know, he's such an honorable kind of character. I feel like he, he wouldn't tolerate like working side by side with this man and earning his trust and not being forthcoming with him about what he had done. Yeah, that's a good point. But do you think it would take him this long to come forward with that? I would think that they've worked together almost every episode. So what's he waiting for? The right way to say it. How do you, how do you say that kind of thing? I'm responsible for your wife's demonization. I can't say that That'd word. That'd be a Hallmark card for that. So then we are at the village. And it turns out that as Carter is taking out samples of the water and the soil to figure out what's going on with these people, um, she meets the baby that she helped Daniel deliver, who is now, dun, 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 three years old. <laughs> and this is when we find out that actually on this planet, one day equals one year, or I shouldn't say planet, in this village, one day equals one year. This is the first indication that something's super amiss. Other than the roofied rape and the people who pass out, everything else has been kind of normal. Well, I was wondering why they included the, the birthmark on the baby. I figured it would probably amount to something, and it did. It's so that Carter can recognize this, this kid three days later, right? It was three days. I thought it was the next day too, or maybe two days later. Well, the kid is three years old now, right? So, or it looks like he's three years old. So three days. I don't know that it's like a real one year to okay. like, I, cause they, they pointed out the 12 day old kid who really looked like 15. So I, I think the, the growing up process is pretty accelerated. And then they, there's no, nobody gets old, right? You just stay young and attractive. And I guess on your hundredth day, you just kill over and die. Yeah. So where do they put all the bodies? There's gotta be a lot of bodies <laughs> every hundred days, right? 
but maybe it's kind of like, and I know neither of you guys have seen this movie, but M. Night Shyamalan, I think must have seen this episode because it, a lot of the same themes came up in old. So I'm thinking maybe if you only last for a hundred days and then you die, maybe the disintegration composition composition of your body is really fast. So maybe they just kind of throw them into the water and then they dissolve in a day and they're gone. It's just bones and dust. Yeah, there's got to be some process because they seem very also like, you know, because they're only 100 days old, they seem like very innocent. So maybe Pelop said like when you die, you go, there's like an incinerator somewhere or something. They're very free love and happy go lucky people. So then we come back to the temple and that's when Daniel kind of discovers that Pelops has been speeding up the evolution of these people to shorten their lifespan so they he can kind of study them. So what kind of transmission is this? Is it like microwave or something? Because how could something like this disrupt the biological process in your body? I don't get the science behind this. I do not think there is science behind this. Okay. No, I... I saw, okay, again, you guys probably have not seen this movie, but It Follows is all about sexually transmitted monster that comes after you, right? So I don't think it's microwaves. I think you have sex and the little machines go into your body and you're infected. So then what is the thing that was in the statue? Because there was some kind of signal that was sent out from this. That was box. that was the signal to put them to sleep and wake them up. Okay, so it, it didn't have any kind of interaction with the nanobots, did it? I think the nanobots are the receiver, and that tells them to put them because because the other because you know the non nanoboted SG one didn't go to sleep, so I think it communicates with the nanobots and tells them to put the host to sleep. Okay, so O'Neill, just jumping ahead a little bit, O'Neill ages at the spectacular rate. We could talk about Richard Dean Anderson's choices and acting like a really old man. But then, so my assumption was that these nanites or whatever accelerate, manipulate the DNA to accelerate the aging process. That would seem to not be reversible, right? Like maybe they can stop the nanites from further infecting people, but it seems once that damage is done, the damage is done. And then at the end, they're like, oh, you should be back to normal in two weeks because it just appears, it just manifests as aging. It's not really aging. And you kind of lost me there. <laughs> Because that makes no sense. Yeah, that's not the only plot hole. I mean, there's multiple plot holes. But when Carter is back at the lab and the nanobots start eating away at her gloves, which means that they have gotten out of out of the blood sample, there goes the sexual contact argument that it's transmissible through sexual contact. If it, it truly is airborne, if it makes it from the blood sample to your gloves. Well, and like, I don't know, you would think also after Broken Divide, you're now like on notice that there's viruses, there's, there's or microorganisms that could wreak all kinds of havoc. You know, you would think after they came, even they don't know that it's sexually transmitted or only transmitted through contact. They, that's Daniel's assumption. It hasn't been tested. You'd think they'd be in some kind of quarantine when they got home at the very least, you know, or in a sectioned off area of the SGC because what happened last time? Do you think it ever crossed his mind that he slept with an underage girl? I was going to say, we find out she's 31 days old. That is one hell of a statutory rape charge. Oh, yeah. Not even statutory rape. That's full-on child molestation. Just because she looks like an adult is not a defense, as we know. But if a 31-day-old baby drugs you (laughs) with flour pizza... And rapes you. Really, is it is it is it like um strict liability at that point? Yes, that rape is strict liability. I think you'd have some competing criminal cases here. I think you'd have a defense. (laughs) Judge, I promise she looked 32 days old. (laughs) And she gave you the flower roofie pizza. So did you think? Uh, that O'Neill, when he was sending the rest of the crew back, did you think that O'Neill wanted the crew to leave the planet because he didn't want them to get sick or because O'Neill kind of has a mini death wish 
and is probably clinically depressed. I think probably both. He's just sitting in that room for like, I don't know, two weeks waiting to die and not doesn't seem happy about it. Like he mentions how like he's not happy about the situation, all that stuff. But I think he's always ready to die. Like, he, you know, at least at this point in the show, it doesn't seem like something that's that upsetting to him. Yeah, I think he was just waiting to die. He was fine with um, what he did in, with his career. I mean, he was writing a letter to his ex-wife, probably telling her, this is how I died. And he had his own little throne too. Did you notice that? With throw, throw pillows all around him. That was very weird. Nice setup for him. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think that he should not have been left alone with his own intrusive thoughts. But then Cynthia came in and cheered him up. Do you think they hooked up again? They did kiss in a very chaste way. I, I, would, I can't imagine he is voluntarily having sexual relations with her knowing that she drugged him and that she's 30 at this point 35 days old <laughs> put little machines in his in him through his urethra <laughs> i wonder if they would multiply even faster if he uh reinfected himself by having sex with her again you're probably best to avoid the sex for so many reasons but he doesn't seem to like ever be in a position where like, yeah, you're the person that took advantage of me and I can't be around you or I have mixed feelings about this. He seems to not regard her in that way at all. He, yeah, he more regards her as a child from that point on. Uh, personally, I do ascribe some criminal intent to her actions, especially if you put drugs in a cake. I mean, that, that's it for me. Great. Even if it's called a marriage cake? Even if it's called the consensual cake. It's, no, it's still rape. I think you also have to factor in the context of these people being so young, like they may physically mature fast, but they don't have any life experience. And so I, I can kind of see, okay, well, everyone here knows what this marriage cake is. So everyone else must know too. And, you know, they don't really have critical thinking skills and all that. Actually, Sam, I'm going to, I have a bone to pick with you about that because how can a 30 year old, a 31 day <laughs> old baby have criminal intent to rape okay in our real world they cannot <laughs> i'll give you that but we're not in our real world we're in stargate world but let's say she was like 15 which i think mentally they they all seem kind of teenager-ish 15 years old yeah 15 year olds have the capacity to rape they do in yes. our world yeah yes they seem infantile but I think they still know the difference between right and wrong, which is the central question that, that we ask our defendants. Well, is there such a thing as rape on that planet? Like, has anyone ever not taken the marriage cake or been forced to take the marriage cake against their will? Maybe no one has said no because they're supposed to have blissful days, blissful 100 days. So no one, no one says no to sex. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of like, so much of like crime and guilt and stuff is like culturally relevant is like the cultural context is relevant and so like you know what is life on this planet like like where does their food come from there's clearly midwives do they spend one day training that's not blissful that's not enjoying life every day like the people have jobs yeah who's the janitor who's the plumber i mean <laughs> i think carter said something about there's no farmers or workers or mm -hmm. something like that because they're just partying drinking eating marriage cake all day but the consequences are different because you don't have nine months of pregnancy. You don't have 18 years to raise this child. You're done parenting in a couple days. So there is no consequence to free love and blissful days, right? Also, the, the name of the chosen implies that there are those who are not chosen. Who are those people? Are there other people on this planet that are not chosen or... Or is it just in reference to other planets? Like they, they clearly see themselves as special, but you can only be special in reference to people who are not special. And we don't know what's outside the boundaries because there's a part where Alcos and Kinthia talk about that they're not supposed to go beyond these certain boundaries. We later find out that it's because the machine that's inside the statue of Pelops cannot transmit the signal outside of these boundaries. Um, maybe the workers, maybe the farmers, the actual people, there's actual people living their lives supporting this community do live outside these boundaries. 
And, you know, once, once they sort of solve the nanite problem and cure these people so that they can live full lives, there's a whole lot of collateral consequences to that. Like, okay, so now they're going to have to deal with aging and an aging population and caring for the elderly and medical care. You know, there's no, are there trained doctors and nurses? Probably not because how many medical problems can you have in a hundred days? So there's a whole like societal infrastructure that now needs to get built up to accommodate this, this gift of longer life. And we don't really hear about that. I mean, this is kind of what we talked about. Like, this is the opposite of the prime directive is you go in, you fix everyone's problems and then you leave, but then there's all these collateral consequences from vastly changing someone's society. And we don't know, does the SGC have a team that stays there and builds them hospitals and provides medical personnel and builds schools and all that stuff? No. <laughs> Cause you can't really, we don't, they're not even doing that on earth. So chances are they're not doing that on other planets. If you, if the military can't even write a policy that says don't have sex with aliens, do you, do you really think that they have a contingency plan for destroying the lives of these people and making them longer and having them suffer old age and death? Can you imagine being pregnant, having a kid, your kid's nearly an adult in, you know, 12 days and now you have to raise that child. I think, yeah. I think that's like, these are major shifts in your understanding and nobody there has any kind of institutional knowledge. Like there's no grandparents that could teach you about child rearing or medicine or anything. So it all has to be built from scratch. And so is this really helping them? I mean, yes, it's helping them live longer, but you know, if that living longer is going to be filled with like suffering, is that really helping them? We're in the temple and O'Neill is, is encouraging them to leave the boundaries. Is O'Neill aged yet? Visibly he's, aged? He's aged, but he's not the super, super old. He's like 60s, I would say. He's not the 80s yet. Is this where he looks like he has a bunch of Botox on his forehead? You know, it, not, not just the Botox, but it's like, uh, remember when they got all aggressive? Oh, good advice. Yeah, the broken divide. He, he it was like, did they just reuse the same latex? I don't know what they're called, but like to give him the same forehead ridges. I didn't know when you got old, your forehead grows. <laughs> well, his hairline recedes. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he the later old when he gets like older. I think he looks pretty legitimately old. No, it's the it's the interim one. It's yeah, like, the interim one's a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't want to use prosthetics the entire time. They had to use it when he was around 80, but they didn't want to use it the entire time because Richard Dean Anderson did not want to sit in a chair for more than two hours. I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't add anything. I mean, it didn't. Are you I'm... saying Richard Dean Anderson already looked pretty old? No, no, no. I'm saying, I mean, I, I understand that. I, I think I read some article about, or let me take that back. I read a headline that said, because I don't read the whole article, that the Sex and the City girls who now are the same age as the Golden Girls when they were on, they had their show, right? Yes, yeah. So I understand that back in the, in the past, in the olden days, in the 90s. <laughs> when we were like teenagers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that they considered oldness, 50s and 60s, that's like old decrepit you need to go into a home type now we don't see that but so i understand why they would want to age him a lot when he's in his 60s but really that's not what 60 year old people look like you know what i mean like all you have to do is give him some gray hair and a couple wrinkles and you're that's 60 like it's not walker and <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah, i mean my husband is 60 <laughs> to be fair he is 20 years older than me i am not 60 <laughs> but yeah i don't think of him as like an elderly person i just think of him as you know someone who's a little older than me right and he is not in a walker he is bald though but his his um i've seen your husband and he did not i don't i didn't know him 20 years ago but i don't think that he grew brow ridges <laughs> <laughs> he has no brow ridges 
Yeah. What did, did we talk about Richard Dean Anderson being an, an old person? <laughs> like, <laughs> like really old? Not just <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. His voice acting. Yes. His, his old man voice. <laughs> his old man voice. What did you guys think about that? It sounded like an old man voice. It sounded like he was trying really hard to make it sound like an old man voice. Yeah, I I didn't have a problem with the actual makeup. I think they used prosthetics at that point, but his acting choices were just very odd. The mannerisms, however, I thought were were cute. <laughs> cute. Yeah, I mean, I think I think his like movements were fine. Like I don't know, the voice is just it was just a little over the top. I had a hard time with that. I thought that it was interesting that O'Neill was able to keep his all his wits about him and he other than looking old being kind of grumpy I guess that's an old person trait that's the only thing that made him old as you guys know M. Night Shyamalan is like I love him so I'm going just to reference him maybe in every episode I'm going to slip it in no matter what you guys say but in old every single person had a different malady that came with their aging so why isn't O'Neill suffering any dementia? Why isn't he suffering any hearing loss? Why isn't he suffering any vision loss? Why isn't he suffering anything that goes along with normal aging? If he's one day and he's 60, two days and he's 80, three days and he's almost dead, why isn't he suffering any kind of age-related maladies? I thought that was weird. We did have that prostate problem. Yeah, he did reference his prostate issue that they would discuss later. And at the end, Sam explains that it's just the appearance of aging, that it doesn't actually age you if you're already an adult. So maybe that's it. It's just, I don't know, that whole thing seemed like a cop-out excuse to get him back to young, but that that's, let's go with that as the explanation. And it seems that if Pelops wants to give 100 days of joy to these people, he would probably give it to them disease-free too. Yeah, and nobody else ages. They just, like, I guess, die. Then we go back into the boardroom, and that's when we hear from the general that he wants to incinerate everything. And that's when Daniel starts yelling at the general, but it seems that the general's okay to sacrifice O'Neill and let him die. So I have to say, I think Hammond has exactly the right reaction that you should have when you are dealing with like infectious nanobots that are going to like essentially kill everybody within a hundred days. So um, then we have, we're back at uh, the temple and it seems that O'Neill is Skyping because obviously this was before Zoom with the crew. And that's when he finds out that he's been abandoned. Yeah, I do think that Hammond's right that O'Neill would have not like he there was the reason he sent them through in the first place was because he didn't want them to get infected or risk exposure, or whatever. Um, so I think he would have totally understood the decision to to stop the research and even if it meant leaving him behind. So at this point, we're back and we have the all the people and they're asking for Pelops to return and help them. And when he doesn't, they've decided that they no longer want to be the chosen people. And at this time, this is when they destroy the statue. The statue. And your lawyerness just slipped out there. When you no, said it the didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think in my notes it says statute. Oh. <laughs> you're so used to writing statute. No. When have I ever wrote the word statue? So it's interesting having them waking up to this realization that they're really just kind of hamsters and they're being they're being used in a scientific experiment i just don't know that people would give up their entire belief system that easily maybe it's the fact that they live 100 days they're more willing to give it up they're more willing to act quickly to change their view so quickly because they only live 100 days they seem very tractable and impressionable, which goes along with their naivety. So then we have uh, Kinthea and O'Neill walking on the beach away from the village, and they're having their deep conversations about life. And he teaches her tic tac toe. <laughs> tic tac toe is not a game you can play like for hours. So. <laughs> I don't get that. 
<laughs> like the night they, they forgot that the sunset and they're still playing tic-tac-toe. I mean, it takes like three seconds. Well, he's getting old. Maybe he just takes <laughs> him a long time to, to move that stick around. <laughs> I mean, could have drawn like a chessboard, I guess, or, you know, something <laughs> like that. That would take three hours. I, I think that we're, the writers are just trying to fill space because they, they would just need them to be away from the temple long enough and far enough so that we can get the point that there's something going on within these boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that whatever lazy writer was like, just throw in a <laughs> game of tic-tac-toe. <laughs> you know how many games of tic-tac-toe that would be? I know, maybe it took him hours to finally explain it to her too. <laughs> I mean, she's, remember, she's what, 30 days old? My kids can play tic-tac-toe. Okay. Three-year-olds can play tic-tac-toe. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to create some kind of headcanon here, but shooting it down. Maybe she's just not that smart. All of us, this leads us to find out that Pelops's first law is to never leave the boundaries and walk out of range, which of course leads O'Neill later once he gets back to the temple to search the, the broken statue. And that's when he finds the machine at the bottom of the statue that turns out to be what had been controlling everybody and making them pass out. You think they would have noticed that before because it's making some kind of noise, right? Or it's, and it's also flashing too. But wasn't it, at, it was at the bottom of the statue. So unless they had broken the statue. But, but I thought they, they broke the statue and then time passed and then he returned to the, the broken statue. I think he like flips something over and finds it. Okay. So they, he just didn't look. Yeah, I guess. Well, he's O'Neill. He's not Daniel. So <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, Daniel's skills would have been useful here, but you have to assume that, especially after Teal punched all those things and the drawer came out, that the statue is doing more than just be a statue. It's some kind of like somehow tied to the research. And so you would think there'd be some concern that destroying it might either alert the gold or do something that they should be concerned about. And there didn't seem to be anything like that. Yeah, the, the whole premise is that the reason why they're being aged this fast and only given this one year is for scientific research, which means that somebody is watching this, right? But nobody is. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless it was abandoned or he died or something. Yeah, but the point of scientific research is to observe what happens and collect the data. <laughs> We find out that this is, that the statue is actually, Carter finds out that it's actually some kind of signal. This machine creates a signal that wakes everybody up and puts them to sleep. So then Carter and the group figure out how to turn off their aging process and everybody seems, yay, we get to be old. So wait, I really missed, how does turn, so they, okay. So they figure out that the the broken thing is the, is the thing that transmits the signal that wakes them up. So they make a synthetic version of it that wakes them up. How does that solve the nanobots problem? Did they explain that? Like th- that's my biggest problem with this episode. There's this glaring plot hole. Like they, the nanobots are so powerful that they are eating through rubber at the SGC and they have to like shut down the experiment. They come back in like full protective gear and a signal, a like, you know, just like a radio signal turns them off forever. Like what, what is that? I agree with you guys. I am just trying to fill this plot hole. So by all by all means, go ahead and attack me when I say this. But I think that the, the story here is that when that tra- uh, transmitter is turned off, the nanobots, which are machines, are tiny little machines inside the people, either go dormant, go dead, whatever, are rendered inactive. And so that the aging process that these little nanobots was speeding up makes it stop and lets them have a normal lifespan. Now that is absolutely not in the episode. It feels like there was like a, maybe a sentence or two that probably Carter said that they cut out that explained everything that happened. I don't know. I I would think that that the nanobots would probably leave your system. Like you pee it out or you you poop them out or something. Cause I can't imagine Hammond letting O'Neill come back even if the nanobots are inactive. 
Yeah. And wouldn't you have to like do a lot more research and observation to confirm that they are inactive? Because the signal that was broken is just the wake up signal. It's not the turn off the bot signal. So if they're mimicking that signal only, I don't see how it solves the problem, right? So maybe it's a combined wake up and turn off signal that they figured out how to do somehow and didn't explain, but like, I would think, yeah, I think you want to like observe them for a little while and just confirm that everyone's bots are inactive and still even with inactive bots, I, yeah, I don't think O'Neill's coming back through that gate. So they must break down or something. But we only had like three minutes left in the episode. We had to wrap wrap it all up. It's very, It's it's just too much left unexplained. So I think that the the moral of this story was that we are all supposed to, especially O'Neill, are supposed to treasure every day. And I'm kind of torn that he came to this revelation by being taught this by his rapist. Kind of is upsetting. Yeah, I think the moral of the story is don't eat weird shit that gets handed to you on an alien planet without testing it. And yeah. live by the single girl code. Don't let yourself get separated and taken into a hut while your friends like smile and wave at you. So Pelops was in Greek mythology and you guys know we've been through enough episodes to know that I am the worst at pronouncing names. So I apologize. Please nobody write in the comments or anything about my horrible pronunciation. I'll only say his dad's name once. Tantalus was his dad. And his dad made an offering to the Olympians of a stew. Inside the stew is Pelops. He had cut Pelops into little pieces and gave it to the gods. Yeah, gross. Not a good dad, obviously. (laughs) The gods banished the dad and reassembled Pelops. Because Pelops' dad had been banished, he had to be raised by somebody. So it was actually Poseidon who took the place of initially Pelops's dad then became Pelops's lover because Zeus was still angry about what Pelops's dad had done he also banished Pelops and threw him out of Olympus but Pelops comes back he wants to marry this this girl her name is Hippodamia and she had had numerous suitors who her father had killed because he knew of this prophecy that said that he was going to be killed. And yes, I am going somewhere with this. So just hang in there, you guys. He was going to be killed by his son-in-law. So he had killed 18 of her suitors by going doing a chariot race with them and defeating them and then ultimately killing them because they lost the race. So Pelops knew that the father was planning on killing him. So what he did was he went to... Hippodamia's dad's chariot builder had him replace the linchpins with beeswax. He also asked Poseidon, says, Hey, we used to be boyfriend and boyfriend. Would you make father and son? (laughs) Father and son, then boyfriend and boyfriend. Would you make me an awesome chariot? And so Poseidon provided him a chariot with winged horses. And that's actually what we saw in the statue um, during this episode. So to the dad's charioter, he promised if he, he replaced these linchpins with ones made out of beeswax, that he would give the first night he could have sex with Hippodamia if Pelops was the winner of this race, right? So of course, uh, the dad dies, uh, loses the, the race and dies. And as the charioter kidnaps Hippodamia to try to rape her, Pelops goes against his initial promise and kills him. So as Pelops is throwing the charioter over a cliff, the guy curses Pelops and all of his generations. So I tell you guys all that to say the writers used Pelops to show that these generations, for generations and generations, these people were actually were actually cursed. This hundred blissful days was actually a curse. And it manifested in O'Neill, but, but the people who were really suffering were these people, these young, attractive rapists who are living on this, on this planet, that this was their curse.
So what do you guys give it? How many chevrons? What would you rate this? Rose? I think I'm going to go with three. I mean, I don't hate it. You know, it's definitely not one of the ones when I do every watch, I'm like, oh, can't stand this episode. It just, it's just very hard to get past the rape and very hard to get past the plot holes. So it's not, I can't say it's one of the ones I particularly enjoy. I, I think it's a two Chevron episode, but I do know that we get a nice shot of Richard Dean Anderson's chest. And you know how much I love his chest. So I would probably give it a, give it three Chevrons. I give it two Chevrons. The chest didn't put me over the edge, didn't add a Chevron on this one. I think I probably would have given it a little bit higher if I hadn't enjoyed reading so much of the Greek mythology and being like, wait, I don't want to go back to the episode. (laughs) I just want to keep reading. So I give it two Chevrons. So if this episode was made today, what would you guys think would be different? The rape would be called a rape. I I think that that yeah, I think that would not fly to have like, just because he's a man and she's a pretty girl that would be called what it is, or it would have been done differently so that it wasn't mimicking rape. That's, that's like the one thing that stands out in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree. What do you, what did you think, Malika? Well, I would hope that there would be more women in the writer's room who would have a voice and would say, you know, if the roles were reversed, this wouldn't have gone down this way. So we need to change this. I also would hope that the writers would also have more, at least they would have a consultant, if not a dedicated writer who knew about science, that would be really helpful and would fill in these plot holes because none of us really have a science background and we saw that there was problems. I think we gave it more thought than the writers did. So I'd hope that the writer's room would, would make more of an effort to fix these plot holes. This this episode feels a little weird to me because because having seen the series, they do generally either have good science or like based on real scientific concepts, or if you're going to make it up, make it up and like be thorough about it. Like, okay, make it up. We all know this is TV. None of this is really possible, but tie it up, like have a plausible explanation that you could use at the end. So everyone's like, oh, okay, sure. And, you know, just don't be lazy about it. So next week, we're going to be discussing Thor's hammer and we'll see you guys all next week. Bye. 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 I think George Bush said they like to practice their love with women. Too many good docs are getting out of business. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their their love with women all across this country. Please like us. Oh, and follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole, or Twitter at Probing the Wormhole, or Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also get in touch with us at our website, probingthewormhole.com.